Hey, it's Dan. Before we begin, I want to tell you about a couple of things Movie Maker has going on. If you're a filmmaker with a budget of $10,000 or more and want to double that budget, contact Movie Maker Production Services. They can help you complete your film. Email tim at moviemaker.com or on Twitter send a DM to at moviemakermag to see if your project qualifies. Also, there's another great podcast that I think you should know about, Movie Maker Interviews. The show is exactly what it sounds like. Great interviews with people who make movies. Recent guests include Werner Herzog, the Russo brothers, and Kyle MacLachlan. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you got this podcast from. Okay, now let's start the show. How did you first get into wrestling? How did you start? Oh, uh, well, I um, was going, as like I mentioned, I was going to Florida State there, and I was uh, I went down there on the uh, athletic scholarship. And uh, I lived in a dorm with um, some of the other athletes. Basketball this is Vinny Bellotto. He works in real estate in San Antonio, Texas these days. But back in the 1980s, he was a professional wrestler who went by another name. His opponent in this corner... 233 pounds from Arizona, Vinny Valentino. Vinny Valentino. And if you've seen uh, Vinny over the past couple, three weeks, well, you've seen a very exciting pro wrestler. The reason I'm talking to Vinny is that back in 1985, he had an experience that I'm fascinated by. At the Baltimore Civic Center, Vinny took part in a wrestling movie called Blood Circus. Blood Circus is coming soon. Ask a theater manager for your free scream bag now. Supplies are limited. Yes, a movie that came with its own free scream bag. But when I asked Vinny about this event, this day he spent wrestling in Baltimore. He doesn't really remember it. I don't really remember, you know. I mean, I mean, you know how wrestling is. and you know, It's all been exposed and everything. It's a show and they tell you what they want and you go there and do your job, you know. On one hand, this makes perfect sense. He wrestled for over 10 years and did it all over the world. He was in big matches, little matches, and everywhere in between. How could he be expected to remember one night of wrestling from all the way back in 1985? You know, I really, you know, it's been so long ago, and I really, you know, I don't even remember. But on the other hand, it wasn't just a wrestling match. It was a movie he was making. And it wasn't just some regular wrestling movie. It was a movie about a wrestling match between the United States and the Soviet Union that gets interrupted by aliens who then start wrestling the humans. And it was made by a guy who sold fake gold chains in infomercials who called himself Santo Gold, who also appears in the movie. You would remember that guy, right? I mean, I really don't. I remember meeting him and stuff, but I, I don't know. It's been so long ago. And he didn't wrestle just anybody. He wrestled a mummy. Now, to be fair to Vinny, this part he did kind of remember. And, of course, I just had to ask. And All right, so how did it go? Did you win? You probably see where this is going. I don't even remember uh, what the outcome was, uh, to be honest. <sighs> okay, then. But really, it's not just Vinny. I don't blame him at all for not recalling, especially after the career he had. In fact, most people don't remember this movie or even know it existed. And if you want to see it, you can't. And there's probably a good reason for it. My name is Dan Delgado, and today we're taking a look 
at the very forgotten cinematic experience known as Blood Circus, a movie that has never been shown outside of the city of Baltimore that brought together the holy triumvirate that is wrestling, aliens, and fake gold chains in an episode that we're calling The One Ring Circus. Welcome to the industry, presented by Movie Maker. Santo Ricatuso was born and raised in the Pigtown section of Baltimore, Maryland. His father owned a local barbershop, and when Santo was old enough, he worked there as well. Santo also suffered from episodes of Tourette's Syndrome. It wasn't easy finding friends. When Santo's father died, he took over the family business. He was still in the ninth grade. Working full-time would lead Santo to drop out of school. It was the 1960s. By 1981, the barbershop was long gone, and Santo Rigatuso had moved on to bigger and better things, like selling products through television commercials. You know, 1-800-number ads. First, there was the Melody Digital Watch. It played the Yellow Rose of Texas. And if you act now, you could get a man's and a woman's watch for $39.95. Only the man's watch would play the song, though. That part was left out of the commercials for it. The watches still sold out. Then came the big idea. Santo Gold. Get a pencil, because if you want to, 24-karat Santo Gold bracelets, a Santo diamond ring, and this free beautiful surprise gift, all for only $19.95. You must call now, within the next 10 minutes. The $1,000 look for only $19.95, just to see how many phone calls we'll get in the next 10 minutes. If you have been deceived about 14-karat gold being pure gold, you're wrong. It's nearly one-half metal mixed in with the gold. You might as well pour one-half water or milk in your coffee. Santo Gold is pure 24-karat gold from the gold bullion. No metals are mixed in to break down the gold carat. You're looking at 100% pure 24-karat gold over all 126 diamond cut facets, the latch and all. 14 karat gold cannot give you this look. Santo Gold gives you pure... The image in the commercial would be of two gold bracelets in a black gift box spinning infinitely. By 1982, postal inspectors began getting complaints about Rigatuso's businesses. Promised refunds weren't given, and there was the less than ethical practice of sending some Santo Gold to a random house who had not ordered it. These were sent COD, in the hopes the unsuspecting suckers who got the package would pay up. By 1984, this escalated when Ricatuso's company, San Inc., sent a box stamped with, You ordered this from TV, to a postal inspector's house in Pennsylvania. He had not ordered this. Ricatuso used a number of different company names in order to stay ahead of the authorities. San Inc., the Mid-Atlantic Distributing Company, and JKJ Enterprises were just a few. And despite having a number of cease and desist letters from the authorities, Rigatuso kept on going. And what better way to keep on going than to make a movie? Not just any movie, mind you. No, this would be the spectacular to end all spectaculars. It would start himself, of course, using the alias of Bob Harris, and... It would also be a way to sell some gold chains at the same time. This, of course, is Blood Circus. Look, look these, these are, are scenes, scenes from the, from the new motion, motion picture, picture Blood, Blood Circus. Circus. A comedy motion picture about the parallel world. I must first repeat their name five times. Blood, Blood Circus, Circus, Blood, Blood Circus. Circus, Blood Circus, Blood Circus, Blood Circus. Now Visa and MasterCard holders only. Look, order any item now for just $5. These sparkling his and her bracelets for just $5 a pair. Yes, with the 24-karat gold process. This eight-piece unisex chain set for just $5 a set. 
This 35-millimeter camera, just $5, including the case and strap. The survivor knife, just $5. Six assorted earrings and chains, just $5. We'll order all items shown for just $20, and we'll throw in this elegant ladies' dress watch free. The producers of Blood Circus are making their random phone calls now. The next time you hear your phone ring, answer Blood Circus and instantly win 1,000 pieces of jewelry, a trip for five to Disney. I'm, I'm going, going to practice, practice right, right now. now. Blood, Blood Circus, Circus, Blood Circus, Circus, Blood Circus, Circus, Blood Circus. No word on if anyone won that trip to Disney. And what exactly is the plot of Blood Circus? The story of Blood Circus, from what we can gather, is aliens were apparently kicked out of their planet for, I believe, being cannibals. And they were sent to Earth where they would wrestle both uh, American and Russian wrestlers. And this was pitched as a science fiction film, a horror film, a family film that urged you to bring uh, screaming babies and noisy children. And it was also a comedy. This is Grant Moniker. He's the programmer for the American Cinematheque in Los Angeles. I heard Grant talking about Blood Circus on a podcast last year. And it kind of propelled me down this rabbit hole that I'm now taking you in. I had never heard of Blood Circus, but I definitely needed to know more. So I thought he'd be the perfect person to explain it. First, I want to say that I think Santo Rigatuso, the real Bob Harris uses, is a mad genius. What he created is one of the strangest forms of art I have ever uh, encountered. And I encountered it when I was about 10 years old. It was a uh, infomercial. It had a bunch of structures, but there was a thing called Santo Gold. That was an infomercial out of uh, Maryland that would also be shown like Steubenville, Ohio, places like that. You would get this. And it was a process. It was a patent for gold plating metal. It was also they would sell these uh, this jewelry for anywhere between like four dollars and sixty dollars. And they would also be financing a movie called Blood Circus at the same time, which they would show clips from. But there's even more to Santo Gold than you realize. Now, to understand what Santo Gold is, you have to realize that Santo Gold is a patent. Santo Gold is a type of gold that is sometimes sold as forever gold. It's also the name of Bob Harris in the movie Blood Circus. He plays Santo Gold, where he sings a song called Santo Gold that happens in the city of Santoville Earth. And the gold from Santo Gold is used in the wrestling championship belt for the wrestlers in Blood Circus. Have you got all that? Blood Circus was filmed mainly on one day. The main gig was all done in one day. And it was a, you know, it was a bit of a circus. We had a whole bunch of extras in there. I had designed a a lighting rig that would go in the box that is normally over the ring. We had augmented the lighting a little bit. So we must have had at least one one rigging day, I would have thought, to get all of that stuff in and get the power in. This is Mark H. Weingartner. He's a behind-the-scenes and visual effects guy who's been working in the industry for over 35 years. He's worked on major hits like Independence Day, Inception, and the Hunger Games series, just to name a few. But back in 1985, when he was just starting out on his impressive career, he ended up being a gaffer for Blood Circus. According to Mark, the approach taken to filming Blood Circus may not have been the best. But I wasn't paying attention to any of that because we were literally shooting wrestling stuff at the same time. I mean, there were, there were multiple crews running around. So this kind of approach 
to anything is nuts. This would normally not all have been a one day, uh, a one day event. The filming went like this. There were two shows done on the same day, a 1 p.m. and an 8 p.m. There was wrestling and a concert, and for Mark, it was a bit chaotic to light all of these things because they were all going on at the same time. I don't think I got an actual script, but I was given a rundown of sort of what the storyline was. I knew kind of what, and, and it sounded a little silly, but, you know, work is work. I knew that there was this sort of convoluted story about essentially alien cannibal professional wrestling that would not just win a match, but, you know, eat their vanquished foe in the ring, which was a little messy. Yeah, I mean, I get the sense that the whole thing was as much a marketing extension of Santo Gold as it was anything else. Mark did not have much interaction with Santo Rigatuso, who was apparently all over the place during the shoot. I wasn't really paying attention because I, we were just madly trying to get all the lighting sorted out because we had the ring, we had to get some lighting onto audience members so that you could see audience people pass the ring. And then there was this whole band set up on a stage at one end for reasons that made no sense to us, but I mean, there was sort of this idea of, of the biggest spectacle you could have. And while filming in this chaotic style was far from ideal and certainly wasn't easy, working for Santo Ricatuso did have its advantages. We were all given a Santo Gold ID bracelet. I mean, we, we got some swag. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, just like Vinnie Valentino, Grant Moniger, and myself, Mark has not seen the movie. I, I never saw the, the finished film. It's not as though I have a coherent understanding now of what the story was. Never actually seen the film. The shoot happened on February 9th, 1985 at the Baltimore Civic Center. In order to get a big crowd, ads were placed in newspapers. Rickatuso had hoped to get 12,000 people in there to be the audience extras he needed for his wrestling movie slash gold chain infomercial. And these ads promised all kinds of things. I saw an ad in the paper, and they said they were filming a movie called Blood Circus, a wrestling movie, and they needed people in the audience, and there was going to be a three-headed, two-headed wrestler there. Not three-headed, that'd be too much, but it was a two-headed wrestler was going to be there. And I was going because I wanted to see this two-headed wrestler. This is Tom Chesnavage. And for the record, the print ad reads, a three-headed Munga Magoon. So Tom was right the first time. And it also promised, and I quote, a rock orchestra, bands, breakdancers, celebrities, singers, unicycles, etc., etc., etc. It was to be three hours of fun, horror, wrestling, and rock. For Tom, who was looking for something to do on a Saturday night, it sounded like a good time. So he got his girlfriend and she got another friend to all go. Tom had the idea to dress up for the event. Since it was 1985, he did the only logical thing. He went for the new wave look. All black, some makeup, wraparound sunglasses, the works. His girlfriend Jennifer donned the classic Wham! Choose Life shirt. Which I cringed at. So Tom and company head down to the arena, hoping to see a three-headed Munga Magoon. Or even a two-headed one. So as soon as we went in... This lady with a clipboard comes up, and because I guess, you know, everybody was pretty much dressed normally, and we were kind of dressed, kind of, you know, 
new wavy look. And so she grabbed us and she put us in a bunch of crowd scenes. And she would give direction. She would say, okay, everybody scream. And we would scream. Uh, everybody boo. And we would boo. And at one point she said, act like you're covered in fleas. So we had to just yell and itch our heads and itch our clothing and stuff. After that, I don't remember much more. It was a lot of just wandering around in like bedtime. It wasn't the most memorable evening, as it turns out. And that's not even taking into account the big letdown of the evening. Did you see a two-headed wrestler? There was no two-headed wrestler. Rigatuso had hoped to get 12,000 people to come to the Baltimore Civic Center for some wrestling mayhem. That's 12,000 per show, so 24,000 total. Instead, he got 2,800. The next day, there was a write-up in the Baltimore Sun, quoting spectators that called the event disappointing, boring, and a rip-off. The movie was a quick shoot. Getting it out to the public was not. Blood Circus wouldn't be released for over two years. In that time, Santo Gold infomercials would become a late-night staple. These infomercials are the ones Grant was referring to, which promised that a movie was eventually coming called Blood Circus. And it wasn't just one infomercial, though. There were several different kinds. You'd watch Saturday Night Live, and then you were thrust into this weird world that was selling you gold, uh, was sometimes doing an auction. It was sometimes an episode where they would just take you into the factory where old ladies were making Santo Gold. They would sometimes show the, the making of Blood Circus, and oftentimes you would get the episode where it was an auction, where it appeared to me that everyone was on massive amounts of cocaine. And a guy would come through on a unicycle, and there were old ladies selling the gold, and they were just screaming at you and auctioning off leather belts with Santo Gold. These infomercials ran for a couple of years until November of 1987. That's when Blood Circus finally had its official release. It was no studio release, mind you, so Rigatuso put the movie in four Baltimore theaters he rented out himself. The premiere, it was supposed to be a helicopter was going to fly over the premiere, and it was going to lower down a wrestling ring while people were wrestling in the wrestling ring and lower down into the premiere. And he says in some interview somewhere that he didn't do that because he lost he lost the guest list. <laughs> so, so the premiere didn't happen because uh, uh, the, the guest list was lost. The word is, at that premiere, only three people showed up. Two of them were local movie critics. And the third was an extra in the movie who wanted to see himself on screen. And sometime that weekend, Tom Chisnavage also an extra who wanted to see himself on screen, went to see Blood Circus with a couple of friends. And, well, Tom was not really impressed with what he saw. Gotta say that the, uh, the movie is not a lost treasure. <laughs> um, I read somebody had a review of it, a guy who was actually there, and I know when I went to see it, I went with two of my buddies. One of them is unfortunately deceased now. Yeah, there were very few people there, and it's you know, there's good, bad movies, and then there's bad, bad movies. <laughs> and this is pretty much in the bad, bad movie category. Like, if you want to look at something like Birdemic, if you're familiar with that, that's like a kind of a good, bad movie where you can laugh at it and stuff. Blood Circus is more of a cringy kind of movie. It's a lot of wrestling scenes, and almost every wrestling scene, if, if you watch that infomercial, it's where there's, it, it turns into a ball that goes flying off into space. Yes. That kind of happens a lot. It's kind of like that's the uh, segue. 
And there's nothing more to that. It's not like the balls go somewhere where you know where they're going or anything. It just does that a lot. It's, it's, very, it's a very incoherent movie. Tom calls it incoherent. The Baltimore Sun critic who reviewed it called it incomprehensible in his one-star review of Blood Circus. Blood Circus had a short run in the four Baltimore theaters Rigatuso had rented out. It was never released on video, DVD, or cable. The movie just disappeared. Rigatuso's problems were just starting, however. In 1988, he was arrested for mail fraud involving a credit card scheme. According to a case summary, the scheme worked like this. Seven million people received offers in the mail for a credit card. This credit card came with a limit of either $1,500 or $1,000. Some reports list an even higher limit. But the great thing about it was that you didn't have to go through a credit check in order to get it. All you needed to do was to send $39.95 to the U.S. Credit Corp., or one of the dozen or so company names that Rigatuso used, and the card was yours. Thousands of people signed up. Some of them didn't get anything in return. Others got a credit card called the Gold Card 2500 or the National City Card. It was made out of paper and could only be used to buy Santo Gold jewelry. Rigatuso was convicted in 1989 and sentenced to 10 months in prison and ordered to pay restitution to his victims. His sentence grew longer after it was discovered that he was still running a credit card company from prison. That the Gold Card 2500 or Santo Gold or Forever Gold or any other number of things that Rigatuso had going on would turn out to be a scam is probably not a surprise to anyone. What I'd like to say in his defense is if you didn't know this guy was a con man from seeing these infomercials, then you were pretty much on your own, I think. Because if you dressed as a con man for Halloween, you would dress like uh, uh, Santo Rigatuso. It was obviously a scam. And it would be, uh, there were so many scams going on. There's one I recently found out. He had a 976 number that was only available in print. So you could call in and listen and hear scenes from Blood Circus. 976-4600. Call and hear sound from the movie in, quote, new 3D sound. Only $2 per call. To be an extra in the movie, you, you had to pay $10. So to be an extra in that, you would, you would pay $10 and you would go down and you were promised to see all this wrestling. But really what you saw was very uh, slow-moving uh, filming process of, of wrestlers. Here, here's a quote from uh, the great Santo Rigatuso, who, uh, who went to jail, I believe, for at least 15 months. This is how he described Blood Circus. He goes, if you don't like the jewelry, which is the first time that was ever ever pitched as as a tagline to a film <laughs> if you don't like the jewelry which is my main reason for seeing films if you don't like the jewelry they'll love the scream machine if they don't love the scream machine they'll love the thunder vision and if they don't love the thunder vision they'll love the angels that come down and bother everyone one of the things so when uh santa rigatuso was on trial his, uh, his wife, who is a psychiatrist, which I find very interesting, they were trying to get him off uh, without going to jail because they said it would break him. And so they uh, listed a bunch of his il illnesses. And they were like, uh, yes, OCD, yes, paranoia, schizophrenia. It was a laundry list of uh, things, which to me, I was like, he can't stop. Like, he didn't just have one illness. They, they threw every illness out there because he also makes a movie with Thunder Vision and Scream Machines and aliens and jewelry and ghosts. 
So even in that, there was uh, uh, he was overkill. He was definitely, though, I think he was onto something. As for Blood Circus, there is a curiosity about this movie from people who remember the infomercials. You can also find a number of blog posts going over it. And while art theaters and repertory houses would love to show it, they can't, not without fear of being sued. In 2008, a new female singer appeared on the charts with the name of Santo Gold. Now that's all one word. By 2009, she was going by and still goes by the name of Santigold. The O became an I. Why the change? A lawsuit from Santo Rigatuso was filed. After she changed her name, Rigatuso's YouTube channel, yes, that is a thing that exists, put out a new song called I'm the Real Santo Gold, just in case there was still any confusion. But it's this litigious nature that has prevented any further blood circus screenings. It's also why you won't hear any of his songs in this podcast. There is a Santo Gold website promising the movie is going to be released on DVD. And the YouTube channel was updated as recently as 2019, saying the movie was still coming. Which is interesting since Rigatuso died in 2015. It must have been seven years ago, eight years ago. The producers of uh, the film, because somehow Santo Rigatoso didn't own the film. They said that we are the producers and they put on YouTube, we own this film. If you want, if you're interested in Blood Circus. And I was like, oh, my dreams have been answered. So we all emailed them and inquired about it. And uh, the asking price started at $1 million. So I was, <laughs> I was like, well, that's probably not going to happen. At the opening of this episode, I said that Blood Circus hadn't been seen outside of Baltimore. But that's not exactly true. I was the programmer at the New Mission Theater in San Francisco for the past year. This is Jake Isgar. And as you heard, he's the programmer for the New Mission Theater in San Francisco. But before that, he was in Texas and worked for a theater that held secret screenings back in 2014. These were screenings where you would buy your ticket with no idea what was going to be shown. I uh, had no, no idea what this was, uh, no sort of framework for it. It was really kind of set as like, this is something that no one in the audience has seen, which is true. And it's like, it was pretty special to be in a room full of, had to be about 180 people, 10 o'clock on a Monday night, around that time, like nine, nine o'clock or so. So no one really knew what they were getting into. And the movie, the movie starts and it's, it's just one of those, it's just sort of a collective, both like euphoria, but also like collective brain melts of realizing that you are seeing something that no one else sees for the first time, but it's just this time to sort of collapses in on itself. Yep, that's right. It was Blood Circus. So while Tom Chisnavage gave us his best memory of a movie he saw only once 30 years ago, Jake has a clear, vivid memory of watching this movie in 2014. And really, no one breaks down a movie like this guy. Here is your detailed, spoiler-filled breakdown of exactly what happens in Blood Circus. The movie begins... With a, I believe it's with a voiceover of Guardian Angels uh, talking about what is about to happen, and what is about to happen is revealed in this sort of Star Wars-esque crawl that goes on, I would say, for about... A solid three or four minutes that's all kind of in this like HR puffin stuff, like dial font. So, uh, setting the stage that the US and the Russians have agreed to this 
an exhibition wrestling match in Baltimore. And that's what the angels are watching over because flesh eating aliens have descended also upon Baltimore at this event. So it's being billed as like this good versus evil sort of approach that is then you know further distorted by aliens being here. Wrestlers, Russians, aliens. This part we've already heard before. What sort of happens over time is the aliens don't really do much of anything, but they create this sort of like plague of cartoon gnats that everyone is just slapping off of them at all times. And it leads to a lot of slapstick scenes with Ox Baker. And it seems like all of the slapstick is tied to the idea of the screen bag, which was this promotional tool that Harris was using to try to promote the movie of at different moments, you would activate, use this sort of screen bag. We didn't, there were no screen bags at the screen, but it's something that was tied as a promotional tool for it. So the whole movie has this, all the crowd scenes have this repeating like siren noise that's supposed to be the sound of the screen bag. And over time, as just all of the slapstick and the siren noise and just all of this stuff just all kind of like collapses into each other, all the wrestling scenes, it just creates this just like just really deadens you in the specific way that movies that are kind of governed by that central cult personality do. I've been told that the movie is pretty much a lot of wrestling. So the idea that it wears on you over time really isn't a surprise. Though at least we now know what the screen bag was for. The climax is fantastic. And that's the clip that you can find on YouTube and see of the Santo Gold song, which really kind of climaxes everything. And it goes on, I think there's a four minute clip, but it, that also carries through into the credits where the guardian angels are telling dad jokes during that stuff. And he's hawking his Santo Gold and also any other product that I imagine is in his purview. So the whole movie still functions as this gigantic infomercial for both the product that he's selling and also his abilities as a promoter and as a filmmaker. So it's this 90-minute infomercial that all still, just by nature of its regionality and by nature of the cult's personality, he wants to bring in this sort of almost like Tony Clifton-esque you know, cult's personality that it, it just, it all like really tracks. As bad as this movie likely is, it should be noted that everyone who saw it in 2014 seemed to have a really good time watching it. It was nuts. And it was it was one of those things that everyone just kind of leaving the theater had this daze of feeling the sense of discovery of something that probably, to our knowledge, will not be screened again. But it's just, it's wild. I don't know who it's, it's not really for anybody besides Harris himself, which is part of what makes it such an incredible um item of the sort of feeling of discovery, but there's a lot in it. And I think if you're into that sort of movie, there's a value in that. Now, thanks to Jake and Tom, we have a good idea about what is going on in this movie. But one thing that still gets me about it is why. Why did Santo Rigatuso bother to make this movie? Was it really to sell gold chains and as Jake posits to sell himself as some sort of ultimate promoter? It's also strange that it makes sense. Santo, uh, in one interview I read once, he said it was mainly he did this film to help a small wrestling promoter in the South. He, he was saying he was doing it out of the goodness of his heart for the small wrestling uh, promoter. Okay, so that's one possible reason. But what if there was another reason Blood Circus was made? One that's so obvious, we're all overlooking it. 
after that that day at the, the old Baltimore Civil Pacific Center, I did not encounter the movie Blood Circus ever again for the rest of my life. Until this moment in time. Until you called. Mm. So that would be 35 years of blissful ignorance or, or ignorant bliss, one of the two. This is David Simon. He's best known for writing and producing some of the best television of the last 25 years. He's responsible for the critically acclaimed series The Wire and more recently The Deuce, which ended in 2019, and the limited series The Plot Against America in 2020, all done for HBO. Back in 1985, Simon was still a young reporter working for the Baltimore Sun when he got an assignment to cover the filming of Blood Circus. I was 24 years old. I'd been hired by the Baltimore Sun out of college, only for a couple of years. Every assignment was like proving ground, kind of like, like I was, I still had the bit in my teeth as a reporter. So I was very young. My normal shifts were police reporting and, uh, or rewrite. On the, you had to work a certain number of weekends. You had to take GA assignments on the weekend, general assignment. And it must have been that. I definitely remember the assignment coming down because it was so different. I mean, like normally a GA assignment on a Saturday can be anything from, you know, a Memorial Day parade in Havity Gras, you know, some little town. You know, go, go give us 20 inches on it. it. It's usually like more rote shit than somebody saying, somebody's making some weird wrestling movie at the Civic Center. Go watch them and see if there's a story there. So I do remember that. I remember like, you know, well, this isn't every day. So he gets his assignment and heads down to the Civic Center and he meets Santo Rigatuso. If I remember this correctly, I think he had on a pinstripe suit. I almost want to say it's double breasted, but that's probably me uh, embellishing it. And he, and it was dark in there because they, they had sort of night lighting for the, the wrestling sequences. And he had shades on. He had these like little wire rim shades. And I thought the guy, the guy was sort of a glorious cartoon. And talking in a whisper to me, like, like he did not want a reporter around. He was sort of upset that I had been let in on, onto the film set. He didn't throw me off, but he definitely wasn't cooperating. Keep in mind that the Santo Rigatuso we all know is this loud, bombastic character. This guy on television who's trying to sell anything. But that wasn't the Santo Rigatuso that Simon interviewed. Here's what I remember. He didn't want to talk. He really was um, a shrinking violet. He was almost dead of aspect and monosyllabic when I approached him. I, whatever quote I got was the only quote I got. And I left the dynamic thinking, this is a tax write-off. Um, which may not have been fair. A tax write-off. David Simon is the only person I've heard with this idea. After I got done dealing with him, yeah. I thought, this, if this movie ever comes out, it's, it's, it's a lost leader, and he's doing the producers. He's come to Baltimore. He's, he's rented the Civic Center. He's paid a bunch of extras to not fill the Civic Center. He's constructed shitty sets. The script is basically a, a general idea of what he wants to see shot. There was like the script seemed inherently suspect. And he's, you know, he's paying some guys, you know, an indie film crew to throw some footage together. And by the time I left the Civic Center, I was convinced his books, if you could find them on this movie, were going to show that he spent, you know, $5 million when he basically spent 50000 And that that was the game. So that's what I thought. Santo Gold as Max Bialystok? It actually makes sense if you think about it. Blood Circus is listed as having a $2 million budget. That's 1985's version of $2 million. In Simon's write-up, he quotes a crew member saying that the budget is set at $750,000. 
Rigatuso was already having some legal issues by 1985. The idea of raising $2 million for a movie, then making it for less than half of that, and having it tank so you don't have to pay back your investors, and pocketing the rest, it's really not that crazy. Especially considering that Rigatuso was a convicted fraudster. It's not like we're talking about what was the most professional set either. And it was just chaos. It was like it was like no film set I've ever been on since. People standing around smoking cigarettes, time dying, no continuity. You know, it was it was not a professional film set in any sense. He, it's not like he hired himself into a, a full-blooded crew. He he hired a bunch of people to not a bunch, but a few people to put film in a can, and even they were rolling their eyes. When I spoke to Mark H. Weingartner, he said he didn't have a script. He just had notes. And David Simon also recalls there not being an actual script being used. I remember somebody showed me a couple of script pages, and they were basically scattered notes. They were, they were not, like, I now know what a script looks like. And I do remember, even at the time, you know, from having read plays and stuff with actual dialogue, that there wasn't a coherent shot list, there was no director. It was him standing next to the camera operator. And I know I got some quotes from the camera operators or some guys in the crew. I remember one of them said to me, he goes, you know, the guy has like some interesting ideas in his head, but he's fucked up. He's not going to be able to execute him the way he's going. That's like the guy said that to me privately. And just like Tom Chesnavage recalled, it was not really exciting for the people who were there. So I think all my quotes were with crew members. Or then I went around to these wrestling fans who had come there free to be in a movie and see what they thought was wrestling. And because, you know, it's a, if you're a middle film set, it's a lot of standing around waiting to move a light or, you know, people discussing shit that they're not going to shoot for 20 minutes. People were bored as hell and they were drifting off. And so it was, you know, they were trying to hold people by promising that they would be in shot. There was a lot of wrestling fans. There were some people who brought families and stuff. And some of them were still excited at the chance to be in a movie. One quick note. It was not a free event. People paid about $10 to get in. And the theory of Santo Rigatuso making Blood Circus in some sort of producers-esque plot to make money is just a theory. David Simon doesn't know, and neither do I. I you know, I, had, I have no way of knowing if I was correct or not. Maybe he really had aspirations as a filmmaker. But I'll say this. This idea that the entire movie was a con, just another Santo Gold scheme perpetuated by Bob Harris slash Santo Rigatuso kind of makes me want to see it even more. I think Jake Isgar summed it up best. And that's another thing that makes the movie kind of special is that it's a period where someone could finance something. I mean, obviously people finance with dirty money all the time, but the sort of like special dirty money of low rent hucksters versus like, like private equity vultures that are making stuff. There's a charm to that. Like if I want to be swindled, I want to be swindled by someone like Bob Harris. Me too, Jake. Me too. Let me tell you about my hometown, swinging in the great free state. I'll have to brag a little bit, but I really won't exaggerate. B-A-L-T-I-M-O-R-E. Baltimore, Baltimore, that's my hometown. Baltimore, Baltimore, that's my hometown. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Industry, presented by Movie Maker. This episode was written, edited, and hosted by me, Dan Delgado. Special thanks to my guests, Vinny Valentino, Mark H. Weingartner, Tom Chesnavage, Grant Moniger, Jake Isgar, and David Simon. 
Grant Moniger, by the way, is not just the programmer for the American Cinematheque. He also hosts their excellent podcast, the fittingly titled American Cinematheque Show. The podcast offers listeners in-depth exploration of diverse film topics and features interviews with special guests, as well as exclusive content from the Cinematheque's vast spanning archive of Q&As recorded live at Cinematheque screenings and events. And yes, I just read that. To see pictures of Mark H. Weingartner working on the Blood Circus set, or to see a picture of Tom Chisnavage's new wave look taken just before he went to the Baltimore Civic Center, head on over to MovieMaker.com. MovieMaker is your go-to site for all movie information. Whether you're a fan or a movie maker yourself, there is something for you at MovieMaker.com. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. They say it helps. Prove them right by actually doing it. You can also rate and review the show on Podchaser and CastBox. Show notes and links are available, if you need them, on our website, industrypodcast.org. Thank you again for listening to this episode presented by MovieMaker. We'll be back again soon with another story of the things that went on in the industry.